The first was, I was thinking that I could come in, my background prior to this was marketing technology, so it was a lot of data-driven, automated uh, customer management systems. So I thought we could um, instantly infuse this company with uh, a turnkey solution that would um, drive uh, retention, uh, revenue per customer, uh, and also um, uh, retention of, of, of our labor force, right? Uh, and what and so we came in, we did make relatively significant investments up front on that and uh, quickly learned that um, the adoption rate of the industry. So, you know, previously, I think I had referenced landscaping as a mature industry. And really, it's more so than mature. It's a little bit archaic. Right. And, and as such, um, different than mature, uh, it's just operates at, at a in a way that is far less technology reliant and so even our customer base pro- property managers across the board um, were somewhat resistant to building the um, the muscle memory to in- interact with what would ultimately um, simplify their lives our, our reporting relationship um, the level of certainty they have in their budgets and their forecasting everything um, and so um, we had to take this relatively sizable investment and, and put it on a back burner because the other um, strategy was to create automation throughout the workforce. Um, and when folks aren't showing up to work <laughs> or you have a high levels of turnover, which I definitely knew about, but didn't really anticipate it would be as disruptive as it was to the day-to-day. So talk about uh, kind of the tyranny of the urgent uh, and urgency over importance. <laughs> Hey everyone, I'm Palmer Higgins and welcome to the Big Time Small Business Podcast. I interview owners, operators, and founders of the small businesses you see every day but don't hear enough about. We talk about the obstacles they have faced, the successes they have earned, and where their business is going to inspire and inform you in your own career. On this episode, I talked to Paul Stringer, owner of DHM Landscaping, a commercial maintenance landscaping company in Phoenix, Arizona. Paul purchased DHM almost three years ago with the idea of putting his tech and marketing experience to work in a company of his own. His focus on delighting the customer with technology and service far above what is considered normal in the industry has propelled DHM to grow upwards of 45% per year. Paul admits that those rates are unsustainable indefinitely, but remains committed to investing in his team and in technology to stay ahead of the competition. All right. So Paul Stringer, thanks a lot for being on the Big Time Small Business Podcast. Good to see you, Palmer. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Uh, We've known each other for a long time now. Uh, Coast to coast relationship here. Uh, Both of us with with experience. Me, myself, tangentially, you a little bit less so in the landscaping space. Uh, You're the owner of DHM, but got into it really uh, via the entrepreneurship through acquisition angle, which is um, something that, that myself and Chenmark obviously are very familiar with. So let's go, let's go back then and, and say sort of what got you into landscaping, but really what got you into the concept of entrepreneurship through acquisition, which is, I think, for most people listening, probably pretty new. Uh, yeah, so uh, I had been through, you know, in my former life, I was an entrepreneur. Um, I had a marketing firm when I was in my 20s that I sold. And 
then I was then I went through a couple of other acquisitions uh, in spinoff firms that I had. And the most compelling part of that entire experience for me was that uh, acquisition process and everything that uh, that followed. Um, and uh, it occurred to me that there was a tremendous opportunity to enter into an industry uh, and create disruption using a lot of the skills that I had learned um, in marketing and technology and 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 uh, and so forth um, through acquisition and kind of speed up the timeline. And this was the idea, right? That I would speed up the timeline, dive right into an existing firm, and uh, and be able to start plugging in all these innovative and disruptive inputs and. And, and skyrocket the business, you know, three, four, five-fold. Sure. And so um, that was the the theory. Um, and I also had been tracking the, um, you know, the search fund uh, trend, uh, and and knowing that uh, that there was a there are ripe industries out there, highly fragmented, um, with a lot of potential deals. And so. Um, landscaping was something that always appealed to me because I had some experience working with True Green tangentially um, and was exposed to their operating model. Um, and I moved out to Phoenix and quickly realized that there is no snow, that we have grass year round, and I'm surrounded by these tiny firms um, that are servicing you know, every property. Meanwhile, we're building like mad in Arizona. Uh, so it was only a matter of time before I started uh, really looking into that space. Um, and I found DHM. Uh, and so I was looking at other industries as well. So at that point, it was really a matter of, you know, landscape was my front runner, but it was really a matter of the quality and the caliber of the opportunity uh, that I found, the company, right, the acquisition. Mm-hmm. And so DHM had what I felt and, and what it has turned out to be true, a tremendous client base um, of, of good, solid uh, corporate commercial clients uh, commercial property uh, management companies and developers um, that had been with DHM since 2010, and I made the acquisition in uh, late 2015. So 2016 was really our first full year of operation, um, and so that was that was really the what what brought me to um, this industry and what brought me to uh, DHM itself. And what unfolded is. Um, pretty different from what the vision yeah, <laughs> held. We'll get there. We'll <laughs> but, get there. But that was the, uh, that's where I, I dove in, you sure. know, boot, boots and all. Yeah. So I want to, because I get this question asked a lot. Uh, I want to, I want to hear the, the two or three things about DHM or about landscaping in general or the type of landscaping company that DHM is that drew you into this space. Because I get this question a lot is, you know, me, James, and Trish, we searched for a small business to acquire and we bought a landscaping company. A lot of people looked at us the second, the day after we did that and said, you guys are crazy. Why are you guys buying a landscaping company? You guys going to cut grass now? Like, I don't get it. So what was it, what was it for you? I know I have my reasons and I'll share them, but I want to, I want to hear yours, yours first. Okay. So, um, I, I, I want to assure you that I have received the exact same yeah. response and question from folks. Yeah. And it's actually nice to be able to to give you my answers, um, and I'm curious to hear yours. So, um, first and foremost, it was an industry that met certain guidelines. I saw an industry that was, you know, we talked previously about a net promoter score, right? So, the general satisfaction of customers in the industry was low. Uh, And I could not accept that in today's day and age, there could be an industry out there with such low customer service. Uh, satisfaction scores. So I knew immediately that there was an opportunity to um, make uh, instant improvements uh, just by pulling a few simple levers, really. Um, 
then I also knew that there would most likely be a uh, a large uh, a larger um, uh, uh, set of options for potential acquisitions, uh, just because of the sheer number of of these co- of these companies that I felt, for the most part, kept their heads down, did their work, uh, and so so that was something that that drew me to it. Uh, when I found DHM, what I realized is that about eighty to eighty five percent of the revenue was reoccurring, uh, and that for me was um, it, it de risked uh, what I already knew was a highly risky um, uh, investment. For me, you know, I, I I'd never run a landscape company in, before. Um, I felt like it was um, easy enough to understand, but still, there was a lot of unknowns. And knowing that there is relatively contracted customers, you know, there's an out clause, but every contract is for a year, and 85% of my revenue is tied to those contracts. Uh, that made me feel good. And then finally, the sim- relative simplicity of the industry. And this is um, not to offend the industry itself, because as you get into it, it's highly complex and with multiple layers. But uh, you know, at its essence, it was uh, an industry that, um, you know, we provide a simple service that everybody needs. Um, and there was a large commercial component, which meant there was a relatively trustworthy customer base out there. Um, and finally, I'm bilingual Spanish-English, and I've worked a lot with the community that we um, pull from to source uh, labor. And I felt um, that would be an additional benefit, but it certainly wasn't a driving decision. Sure. So basically the exact same reasons for us. <laughs> oh, wow. uh, I, I, I generally answer it slightly with the slightly different words, but uh, the recurring revenue, number one, contracted revenue for our companies, uh, we're in the snow belt. So I'm a little jealous that you get to deal with sort of just landscaping all year round. Come on out. Yeah. Tell me about it. Competition's actually a lot higher out here. So I, we can get into the geographic dispersion. Um, I think a lot of people caught on to the uh, easier to manage a business that is essentially one season. I mean, you, we're, we're sitting outside right now and it's February and it's, you know, what, probably 55 degrees and you're freezing. And I'm like, yeah, this is, this is great. It was negative 15 when I, when I left Portland, Maine. Um, <laughs> but uh, re- recurring contracted revenue with large commercial accounts in an industry that uh, we had great confidence that was going to be around for decades to come, which is a huge, huge component of our investment criteria. Um, the way you put it of of low customer satisfaction, I just said the, the the threshold, the bar was set so low that there's tremendous opportunity to whether please the customer or operate a little bit more um, innovatively, uh, leverage technology a bit better. Uh, there's just there was a bar. The bar was low to do to do interesting things. Um, and and then lastly, yeah, the, the the fragmentation of the industry meant that there was opportunities, but also the fact that it's a it's a service business meant that we could find a company that fit our size criteria, which is a small business, but could be the dominant largest player in their local market. Uh, and you were you had high visibility in seeing competitors coming because they couldn't come; they had to come from the edges of your service territory. You know, someone from Minneapolis, Minnesota couldn't all of a sudden start selling contracts to, you know, the hospital that's down the street from my, from my lay down yard. Um, so you put all that together and it had the bones of, uh, of a, of a really good industry. And obviously we've, we've doubled and tripled and quadrupled down in the space. So, uh, you know, we still like it. Oh, that's, that's certainly a good, good for me to hear. And, and we were different, you know, we certainly didn't have, um, the resources to come in and, and acquire, um, a firm that was seen as one of the larger, um, firms. And, and what we can talk about eventually is how you also, we, you also operate in a geography where the scale of that dominant player is much bigger than it is in Northern New England. Precisely. Where we are. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that, I mean, that's where I get to the geographic, geographic dispersion of, yeah, where we are now, and I'd say sort of the the southwest and west in general, and now 
the Southeast, to some extent, is an area of high consolidation with much larger private equity groups or much larger strategic acquirers. Um, and so I would argue that you're in a space, you're in a geography that is that is more competitive than Northern New England. Yeah. Agree? And, disagree? I, I do agree. I, I'm not as familiar with your market territory, but just think about that. No one likes it. dealing with snow. I think that's and, what it is. People are like, get me out of the snow belt. And, and precisely, in fact, you know, our our president, uh, CEO, uh, who operates the firm on a day-to-day basis, you know, I'm the owner and I'm highly involved. Um, he came, he had a successful company in Ohio, uh, but got sick of the, the snow. And uh, he had a he had a clever contract um, strategy with his customers, uh, mainly big hospitals out there. Uh, but even that, even with that in place, a lot of uncertainty on weather patterns and packed up uh, sold off his firm and came out here, and we were very fortunate to to, to get him sure. at DHM. So, yep. So I want to I want to pick up on uh, what you alluded to earlier. Is you had this expectation of you know this five six year plan of you know all rainbows and butterflies, everything's going to be great. <laughs> so let's let's talk about perception versus reality. Now that you're you know call it two and a half three years in, uh, sort of what have what have been the biggest surprises, both positive and negative. Um, yeah. So um, from a from a positive. Uh, perspective, uh, I think the intuition that providing better service, however that's ultimately manifested itself, um, would drastically improve um, any firm uh, in the industry out here. So we were able to successfully implement um, a service plan, a uh, customer service plan and strategy that um, that that cr- that I-, I can credit for the majority of the the growth and the retention that DHM has experienced. Um, so that has been very rewarding. However, the way that it's come to fruition, uh, it was probably different than um, than what the initial strategy is. So, kind of taking off based on answering your question based on you know uh, expectations going in and and specific strategies that I was going to employ. Mm-hmm. Um, the first was. I was thinking that I could come in, my background prior to this was marketing technology, so it was a lot of data-driven, automated uh, customer management systems. Mm-hmm. So I thought we could um, instantly infuse this company with uh, a turnkey solution that would um, drive uh, retention, uh, revenue per customer, uh, and also um, uh, retention of, of, of our labor force, right? Uh, and, what, and so we came in, we did make relatively significant investments up front on that and uh, quickly learned that um, the adoption rate of the industry. So, you know, previously I think I had referenced landscaping as a mature industry and really it's more so than mature. It's a little bit archaic, right? And, and as such um, different than mature, uh, it's just operates at, at a, in a way that is far less technology reliant. And so even our customer base pro- Property managers across the board um, were somewhat resistant to building the um, the muscle memory to in- interact with what would ultimately um, simplify their lives, our, our reporting relationship, um, the level of certainty they have in their budgets and their forecasting, everything. Um, and so um, we had to take this relatively sizable investment and, and put it on a back burner because the other um, strategy was to create automation throughout the workforce. Um, and when folks aren't showing up to work <laughs> or you have a high levels of turnover, which I definitely knew about, but didn't really 
anticipate it would be as disruptive as it was to the day to day. Yeah, um, it the got, no call, no show is brutal. When the you're no call, to play no show logistics, and and it, it is a, it was a real problem for us. So talk about uh, kind of the tyranny of the urgent uh, and urgency over importance. Uh, we really had to put out fires for a couple of years, mm-hmm. um, and those fires, and you know. N- Nothing that was um, going to threaten the very existence of the firm, but rather, you know, how are we going to sell um, this absolutely um, uh, ideal landscaping experience if if we can't get our guys to show up on time, if or or show up and let us know, and um, if we also can't execute um, at the quality levels that that we need to. So we, I really had to, as an owner, dive into the bowels of this company and personally ensure that we were putting the um, the the quality controls in place at every level level of the organization. Yep. Um, so I would say those are. Those yeah. are two examples. But you've still been very aggressive in trying to leverage technology. So it's not something that you came in and said, all right, well, I can't automate away everything. I can't make this into sort of a, a SaaS-like service. Uh, uh, but so you didn't, you didn't, you took that blow, but you didn't abandon it entirely. We're sitting here outside of a, an ERP software conference exactly. for landscape, for landscaping companies. That's, yeah. that's why we're both here. Uh, we're in it. You're, you're implementing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, how have you evolved to still leverage technology to provide a better customer experience and to provide um, more certainty in your logistics and ideally higher profit margins uh, while sort of initially being faced with the, the dilemma of not being able to do all of what you want to do up front? Yeah. So instead of, yeah, initially we wanted to throw everything into the, you know, into the, into the um, central control system and, and just hang everything off of it. Right. Um, Which means what? Which means, you know, we had um, a, a central stack, essentially, that would hold all of our data for all of our customers, um, and it would integrate uh, budgets, um, quality reports, um, as well as service calls. Uh, it would send notifications through a customized dashboard that lives on the laptop or desktop of our several customers throughout the valley um, that would notify them of approvals that needed to be made at the touch of a button. They would be able to approve work orders. Um, It would also um, allow folks from the field to send uh, photos as proof of performance in real time to customers. Um, It also had uh, everything operationally where I believed uh, and we know for a fact that the lack of trust in the industry exists. How how do I know you're actually doing your job? Uh, To really fill that gap. Um, at the same time, you know, an extensive budget management system on the back end that allowed us uh, to do, um, you know, job costing uh, and run extensive reports. Now, all of this uh, was too much of an undertaking, although the vision was laid out and many hours were put against it. Um, and so what we did was we chose what we thought would have the highest impact and we had uh, and we implemented off the shelf solutions for those. Right. So we worked with a company um, to customize a, a field reporting app uh, that allowed our um, our managers to uh, conduct inspection reports on a regular basis and automatically they would automatically be sent to um, a series of folks to inspect and then off to customers, mm-hmm. uh, which created a, a significant amount of customer satisfaction. Um, time and again, we heard we never see anything like this. If I pay $250 to change out a valve, you know, I never know if it's done because I don't get any pictures to prove it. You know, and something as simple as that we decided to solve and we did successfully. Um, uh, we also... 
we changed our RPO system uh, to as part of that same uh, custom platform to have POs kind of live uh, within this so we could have POs generated or uh, um, uh, estimates generated from the field um, instantly uh, approved by managers and then off to customers. Uh, the only thing that we weren't able to implement was the reminder, uh, an alert that we envisioned uh, being kind of dinging, uh, uh, reminding them on a daily basis until they approved it. But nevertheless, it, it has, has driven re- revenue per uh, customer because you know, that's essentially how we're measuring success. So those are two, it's very much front end. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas a lot of the, so we had to go custom because a lot of the solutions that are out there uh, are very back end oriented. And we were small enough uh, and I had enough uh, involvement in the financials that um, I was able to handle that on my own. Um, and, and that's what a lot of the solutions off the shelf offered. So we had to to anything that was interacting and engaging with customers. And we talked to everyone from Salesforce all the way down to the folks that we ended up using um, to come up with that solution. It was very hard to find turnkey customer interfaces that would um, directly affect the strategic um, advantage we were trying to, to achieve. Sure. And now you're obviously in, in version 2.0 as you as you start to roll on this software system, mm-hmm. uh, Spire. It mm-hmm. is landscape specific. We use it in our landscaping companies. Not a full ERP system because it doesn't have a general ledger, but will manage everything from customer relationship management through the gross profit line, including mobile time tracking, probably not with all the bells and whistles that you want, um, but sort of what made you essentially remake the technology stack and, and reinvent yourself again in in a two-year time frame. That's implementation onboarding is what everyone talks about. It's like the worst part of software and you're doing it now twice in two years. Yeah, well, and that's that's certainly what we're learning uh, and we hope to see them implemented here in the next six months. Uh, and, and DHM is, you know, and I don't want to skip ahead, but uh, w- with regards to the, to the technology, um, we definitely think we've matured to the point where we could take it on. Um, and the necessary bodies that we need to allocate uh, to customers to get them on board and using it, as well as um, ensuring um, proper integration across the ranks of the company um, are now in place. Yep. So. so let's talk, so you, you spent a lot of time focusing on the front end, the customer experience. I think that makes sense because happy customers are obviously the leading indicator of a successful business. Uh, you can't no matter how well you operate, if you don't have happy customers, they're not going to be around for that long. Sure. Um, but as you point out, one of the challenges of running a landscaping business is it's a service business where you you have to manage mobile crews all over the place, routing, efficiency, budget versus actual hours, mm-hmm. productivity, use of materials. Um, so how have you managed, and I'll call it the back end, but it's not really the back end of a, of a technology stack, it's the back end of the operations, the business, the people side. How have you, how have you managed it? How, what lessons have you learned along the way to try and, and marry that up with the, the high expectations, the high service that you're giving on the front end? Yeah, so, and I, and I obviously mentioned this immediately as one of the, the hard lessons that we had to learn. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, it has, we've done a lot, and I'll, and I'll walk through some of the things that, that we've done to ensure uh, a quality product um, behind the quality packaging. Uh, but the, uh, it, for us, it's come down to investing in quality people. And, and obviously, there's a, there's a huge uh, constraint when it comes to uh, talent and, uh, and, and the labor force. Um, but nevertheless, uh, that has been our, uh, our strategy. So, you know, the original folks that, uh, of all the folks that, that were part of DHM when we uh, acquired it, uh, none of them are, are left. Wow. Uh, yeah. And, and, uh, and we had, uh, I think maybe we've had one who's returned. Um, but 
but what we've done at a high level, which is really permeated and helped, is we've created this culture uh, of accountability. And it is a culture that um, we've learned as, as management that if you don't um, truly subscribe to it and commit yourself to it, then it, it won't be believed and followed by everyone else in the firm, which means that if you find someone who, who doesn't uh, live up to certain standards that are set, um, then they are they're asked to leave the, the company. You know? So we've had to, unfortunately, uh, move away from a, a lot of folks um, due to that, but it has resulted in, in a much more quality um, team that we have today. So, how, you know, how scary is that process? So it's something that's been, been talked about on this podcast a few times of, you know, if it's not the right, if, if you're not a culture fit and if accountability is a big part of your culture, it doesn't care. It doesn't matter how productive they are. You know, they're, they're not going to be a good fit, uh, but it's hard to let go of those people. It certainly is. So, you know, we, we certainly do give folks every opportunity to kind of get on board. Um, but it's, it's very scary because you don't know, you know, sometimes it's the devil, you know, versus the devil, you don't. And, and, and we need, we've, we've time and again, had to believe that the devil we don't know would be better than just because simple enough, um, we committed to this standard and, uh, we've pursued it. Uh, and it has, it has worked out. Now I can say for me, it's far scarier as the owner and as someone who, um, uh, would probably give individuals uh, more opportunities to get on board, but I've been fortunate to have some good managers around me um, that have, you know, seen through uh, the initial difficult departures and 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 been able to also source some some great folks. So, how have you defined that standard? So you, so you say if people don't meet that standard, we have to be pretty ruthless because we have to protect the team, not the individual, right? Uh, so, how have you defined That's that a good standard? Paraphrase. So. Uh, First and foremost, there is a um, uh, a a reliability factor, right? In terms of, you know, how would we define that? Um, individuals have to be reliable, which means they need to understand that there is no no call, no show, right? And that what you say is what you do, and if you don't do it, that that needs to be communicated. Um, uh, we also would define it by way of um, taking ownership, you know, of of the work that you're given. Uh, and that means being accountable for folks on your team as well as yourself. Uh, if you see something that, uh, that isn't uh, meeting our standards, that you report it. Um, it's a code of ethics that we reinforce over and over again. Um, that, you know, if, if, if somebody in, in the team is going to fail, then we all fail. Um, and, you know, if you get into specifics, uh, it lives in safety. It lives in quality reports. It lives in number of complaints that we receive. It lives in um, the, um, the the inspections that we do uh, on a regular basis, uh, and it lives in general um, uh, attendance at work. Right? These are very basic things, uh, but that's you know, eventually uh, some of these marks circle around individuals, and then that individual is is you know the person that needs to be addressed. Sure. Yeah. Um, so. <clears throat> Moving, moving beyond that, sort of the, the, evaluation for, the evaluation framework, just the, the logistics, the complexity of managing a disparate network of people all over the place. Um, any, any realizations, any lessons learned, any tips, any tricks of how to, uh, how to manage a service, labor-intensive service business coming from a place where on the marketing, on the tech side, you know, the scalability, the... the the cost of of distribution is so much lower than in the landscaping space. 
Ah, and it's a huge challenge, right? So for us, you know, first and foremost, technology is your friend. Um, you know, helping helping folks keep themselves accountable uh, through we have GPS tracking in all of our vehicles. We provide reports. Um, we have standards in terms of how long uh, each crew has to be on every property, and those are. Um, are provided back to the teams um, into their inbox on a weekly basis so they know how they're tracking, right? And all of these roll up into a quarterly bonus program um, that we offer, uh, but there's probably 12 different metric points in that quarterly bonus program, and that's one of them, right? So how well do you manage your own time? Um, uh, so, you know, that's a, that's a, a basic uh, trick, but generally you need to be present. So management really needs to be uh, involved. Uh, we start every day uh, with a meeting and we end every day with a meeting. Wow. And so, uh, and that's really critical. We have a classroom, uh, in, in the front end of our, of our, of our warehouse, uh, where we hold, um, you know, a debrief in the, at the end of the day and a briefing at the beginning of the day. And, and that's when everyone has the opportunity to voice, uh, concerns, uh, to go over what are the, um, priorities for the day. And then we circle back and we make sure that those were covered off on at the end. So, so who's in that meeting? Is it you and your senior managers or is it this an all is, hands meeting? This is our production supervisor. Uh, this is our production supervisor as well as our, um, as well as our, um, director of accounts who also runs, uh, the production supervisor reports into our director of accounts, Got it. right? So those two folks who are probably numbers four and five or three and four in the firm, um, they are running that meeting every day. And at times, uh, we do have, you know, obviously I know when I can meet with the entire company, uh, every morning and every afternoon, if I wanted to, I can, and that's a great opportunity for me. And then our president is there once a week. Um, so there's a lot of presence, uh, of management. So that means that our folks in the field are constantly reminded, uh, that we're all in this together, number one, but number two, uh, that there is, um, you know, an expectation that will be followed up on in terms of, of their standards. Do you find, um, so I've, I've seen a lot of landscaping companies, seen a lot of companies, period, but landscaping as well. And not every company starts the day with a meeting. Uh, I, I don't know how that's possible. Do you, so uh, tell me why. So, you know, I, have you read the book, One Minute Manager? No. I, I mean, it's a, it's the kind of book that you're given when you, on your first day of work and it's very basic, but at the end of the day, the philosophy is, and, and this is what I've learned, uh, you know, one of the biggest learnings has been how, how integrated into the day-to-day -day I need to be and how closely managed a firm uh, like a landscaping firm needs to be, right? Uh, but at the end of the day, the philosophy is, you know, address things in real time if possible, because the vast majority of issues can be handled immediately. It saves on just a backlog of, 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 Issues that become problems that then become real real problems with customers. Mm -hmm. um, so, there's, so what's covering that meeting? Let's let's dive let's dive into that meeting. So what's what do you cover in that meeting? How long does it last? Uh, the meeting is it's a fifteen minute meeting. Okay, uh, it may stretch to twenty, but we keep it short. Uh, it is every crew reports on their um, on their schedule for the day to make sure that what uh, what our customers know is being addressed. Um, is uh, what actually is being addressed, right? Because it's not uncommon that we have to move um, a cruise schedule to address something that's more important, right? Um, the other is um, any non-maintenance issues is addressed, and that is our irrigation and our install teams uh, both go through their day. Um, there is cross 
opportunities for for cross communication where an irrigation uh, repair or an install is happening at one of the maintenance crews properties so that there's real-time coordination of whatever efforts are going on right um, so if there's a building being painted and a major install happening then the maintenance crew will have to maybe in that time decide to switch which zone they're working on in that day so that there's no uh, complication on site yep. little things like that will become huge issues if they're not addressed at the beginning of the day at the beginning of the day they take 30 seconds to address and that's the general philosophy we troubleshoot all of those and then it's it is um Outliers, so anything that's out of the ordinary, right? So uh, something came up overnight that needs to be addressed. Any urgencies or emergencies of a, of a client uh, um, request came in. And then finally, issues. So if there were complaints from the previous day, they're addressed uh, in that moment. Uh, and uh, and that's it. And so that's the flow of the meeting. Uh, general announcements, if there are any, there typically are special meetings for those having to do with 401ks or HR or what have you. That's it. And crews are dispatched. They're sent on their way. And at the end of the day, there's a five-minute recap. It's not very long, but they sit in a classroom-style setting, and we debrief them, and then they send they're, they're, they're on their way. Yep. Makes sense. So I want to transition to sort of where you feel like you are now and with an eye towards the future and where you want to get to. So you're, you're implementing this ERP system. You're, you're a few years in. You know, maybe, maybe things didn't go as smooth or as fast as you expected for DHM, but you are also growing incredibly fast, especially incredibly fast for a labor-intensive service business. Rough, if you care to share, growth rates that you guys experience at DHM on an annual basis? Uh, DHM's been growing on average at 45%. Yeah, so that's nuts for a labor-intensive service business. So I guess first question would be, how do you think about managing that growth? Because uh, a lot goes into that. You need to hire people, you need to finance it, it's equipment, it, heavy equipment, you know, trucks, but also small equipment. It, you got to sell it. You got to sell it the right way. You got to set expectations. You know, you, it's account management. It, you know, it's it's admin staff. I mean, there's a lot of layers to be able to have to service that customer expectation that you set so high. Absolutely, and you know, my initial response is, I I, I bought uh, an existing firm, but if you looked at our last three years, we look like a startup mm -hmm. because of the because of that hockey stick because of the amount of investment up front, et cetera. I mean, those are, those are like tech type growth rates. And, and uh, absolutely. So it shows that the intuition was spot on when it came to probably the most important things. Um, I'd much rather have this problem uh, than, you know, we were unable to control costs or what have you. So um, I would say in terms of growth, so that is to say we're learning as we go to answer that question, mm -hmm. to be quite honest. But I will say uh, we have an ebb and flow that I would say is a, a large growth spurt year uh, and then a relatively flat year. And for us, relatively low growth is 20%. So um, if you consider our size, which is still not very large, we can um, we can absorb growth because it's it's not, you know, growing at 40% when you're $10 million, you know, gross revenue, uh, annual company is is different than uh, than when you're under five million dollars, right? Mm -hmm. So, but nevertheless, because you request more from the market every time you grow, it's sure. you need to find that staff, you need to find the resources. Um, but nevertheless, uh, we uh, we are in an uh, in a pattern of a big growth year and then a relatively f a lower growth year. I can't yeah. call it flat because we haven't experienced one of those. Years. Yeah, still high um, growth. So we do digest. From. So 2018, uh, 2000. 
2019, I would anticipate uh, we are digesting much of 2018, and we spent much of 2018 digesting what we started the year with. So I think back half of 19, we'll probably see another um, series of, of steps up. But, you know, uh, it really comes down to, to very, very, very careful planning. Um, we tend to know exactly where our staffing resources are coming from before we take on a big uh, customer. Uh, a lot of times we've been fortunate enough to retain whoever was previously working because they were probably good workers, but perhaps not um, under this, the ideal management structure. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of, you know, we grow, we rely heavily on um, financing partners in order to um, absorb the required capital uh, expenditures uh, in, in a capital intensive industry. So, you know, we've worked very hard over the last several years to put those in place and we keep them aware of growth six months out. We really make it uh, a, a point. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also try to grow in a very targeted way. We aren't spraying the market yet. I think we're going to get to the point where we have to. We're not spraying the market with uh, flyers or with promotions. Uh, we tend to target who we think is a high potential growth opportunity and uh, that's who we go after. Uh, and we've had a pretty successful um, experience, uh, successful time doing that. Uh, and as such, we've been able to plan accordingly. Sure. So I'm, I'm interested because you think think very similar to the way uh, we think about landscaping companies. So if you could only get, I'll give you three to five. No, I'm going to give you three to four. Three to four, if you want to call them stats, if you want to call, call them KPIs, whatever, about DHM to, to get a good feel for are we on track or not which would they be? So I would say, um, first and foremost, it's going to be our, our gross margin. Uh, as a company by division, it would be as a company. Okay. Um, by division, we obviously have, we have two main divisions and then we have, uh, probably 10 specific services and they all have their own margins. Uh, but we'll dive in if we're not, uh, I mean, we dive in no matter what, um, but every week we have a uh, we have a scorecard meeting. We have a, a, a transparent uh, accounting philosophy at DHM. So uh, we reveal our financial statements on a weekly basis with top management, and we review uh, if everyone's on track. And every week they need to set a goal. It's a zero budget uh, model, uh, zero cost budgeting model that we implement. So I would say that margin in particular, because we beef up our cogs so much that gross margin matters a lot to us. Mm -hmm. Um, everything else is pretty fixed. Um, so that's really an essential, uh, number. Uh, uh, second, it would be, you know, if we are on track, uh, how, how far out we are booked with foreseeable work, you know, we only have to really worry about 15% of our business being, uh, non-contracted, mm-hmm. uh, but still, that's a very important um, metric for us. So, how much uncertainty have we built into the f- pipeline, uh, and um, and that uh, that alleviates a tremendous amount of of of, of workload, in, uh, and and it allows us to focus on you know the clients that we want to pick up. Um, so, I would say that's a sales number. Uh, one is a margin number, and then finally, it's gonna it's going to be. Um, quality, you know, how many complaints. So we have a complaint metric and then we have an average grading system. So just like A, B, C, D, and F, that's what we have for our properties and they all roll up to an average. So if those dip below a B, a B, so we have B minus, so we have plus minus, Mm -hmm. um, 
then there's a real cause for concern. And obviously we want everything, we have a high standard, but we want everything to be, a, uh, you know, in the upper 80 percentile in the 90s, ideally. Sure. So, so how many complaints we've, and those all, those would be reflected in our uh, quarterly um, uh, customer survey and key promoter, um, net promoter score. Sure. So those are the three. Yeah, good answer. So let's, let's flash forward. Um, you guys are growing so fast. So normally I say five years, but you guys are growing so fast. That's, that's too long. So I'm going to go three years. Uh, where, what would you consider success to look like for DHM? It doesn't have to be financial, but sort of when you, if you sort of fast forward three years and then look back, you know, what, what would you be looking for to say, yeah, we, we executed well, we did what we wanted, or did what I wanted to do, or the team accomplished what we wanted to accomplish? Uh, in five years, uh, DHM, uh, DHM will be, um, DHM will ser be servicing an average, um, HOA or commercial account, um, that is twice the size of what our average is today. <clears throat> that was, that's number one. Um, and, and we don't service incredibly small and we're not interested in servicing and you know, all incredibly large. We really like the idea of having a lot of parachutes to pull if we fall out of a plane. Um, but that is... So then why do you want revenue per customer to increase so much? Because it reflects on the quality of the customer and the extent to which customers um, understand fundamentally um, the... Um, the requirements of the property, it reflects the requirements of the property and the requirements sure. of the pro property manager. And do you worry at all that uh, by mathematically, as you increase revenue per customer, your customer concentration also goes up? Does that worry you at all? Um, you know, I think it did. Uh, but what we've been seeing is a, a healthy, uh, gradual increase in revenue per customer year over year. And uh, we are also seeing happy customers that... Um, that have very predictable um, spend cycles, uh, budgets, and a requirement to invest in landscape. And it's harder for them to say no to certain, what we believe to be required services. Mm -hmm. Whereas your smaller customers um, are on a tighter, although there's you know, more concentration um, or less concentration rather, uh, it's, not, it's, not the, it's not the case. Uh, DHM also has, uh, you know, we're plus, 25% maintenance only uh, in our revenue. Um, that would be growing about 5% from where we are now, just maintenance, not including any ancillary service that are contractual. Um, and I would say that DHM has formed our culture. We call it the environments for life culture. And um, you can learn about it on our website, what that means. Uh, but that has really uh, become something that is a part of us to the point where we're growing our own talent. Uh, we're less reliant on the market, uh, even though that'll never go away, but we have a process in place uh, and that there's a tremendous demand uh, to work at our company. Um, and and I would like to see DHM's non-maintenance work uh, booked out a minimum of, of three months on average, uh, preferably six, uh, but six may not be... I, I, I think we'd have to be significantly larger and have a much bigger dedication to that. But sure. How about you personally? So that's that's the goal for DHM. When we started this podcast, you mentioned that what got you into this was entrepreneurship through acquisition, and we've had a lot of conversations historically about your aspirations uh, beyond landscaping, just in in the entrepreneurship through acquisition space. So anything personally, if you're talking about a five year horizon, that that you 
that you have out there, goals? You know, I feel like I've learned so much through this experience that I am very uh, um, committed to the idea of doing it again better. Does that mean that DHM stays? Um, you know, my view would be it does. Uh, DHM has been stabilized. It's um, It has, um, you know, the ability to perpetuate um, and I have the opportunity to take all of the learnings from DHM and to apply it to the next acquisition. Yep. And whether that is in the same space, um, which we've looked at a lot, and oftentimes we arrive at the conclusion that it's at our growth rate, it's uh, much less costly to just keep growing than it is to take on that invested capital. I've been telling you that for what, 18 months now? Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> When 20% is your low growth, I'm, I've been adamant telling you that you're, you're not going to find the acquisition that fits all the right boxes for you. And, and that has definitely played out. Yep. And so, Palmer, I, I will say I've learned from, and I don't know how patient you are, but <laughs> from the perceived patience that you put out there, because it, it has allowed me to allow things to play out. And um, time and again, that's our conclusion. Well, I, th I think, and I've told you this, so I'm, I'm, that's why I'm comfortable saying it on air here, that uh, you know, you're, you, di you discount the... The, the magnitude of what you're doing at DH, DHM. I mean, I, I see in my seat talking with business owners who are contemplating selling, I see a, a wider share of those, you know, the, the fragmented marketplace that is landscaping companies and mm -hmm. the way you approach it, the way you think about it, the way you've handled it and the growth rates you experience, frankly, for large or small companies uh, is incredible. Uh, and, and unique. Uh, and so I, I shudder to think about what happens when you, when you get on Aspire and you sort of you're able to open up the bag of tricks a little bit more and, and realize more of that uh, sort of that wish list of both front end and back end services to leverage technology better to to enhance your mission. Yeah, that, that's part of the one year plan. <laughs> I mean, we really that that is a huge priority and it always has been. And thank you for bringing it up because it it, it is definitely something that is missing uh, to that extent. And um, uh, priority number one would be to find a way to get that implemented and you know, reap the rewards of it. Sure. I mean, it's, it's definitely not the be all end all. I mean, it is a tool, but, uh, I mean, my, my point of bringing it up is, uh, put a, a slightly more capable tool in your hands in your team's hands. And if 45% was the upper bound, I think that that becomes, a that becomes a much higher number. Uh, if you, if you guys, if you guys have the ambition to go take it out. Well, we definitely don't lack ambition. So <laughs> I hear you. So I want to wrap up the podcast with a couple questions. I ask everyone, uh, the first one I think will be pretty interesting given what we've talked about here. And mm -hmm. it's imagine uh, you have four months of time to allocate to DHM, but with none of the day-to-day. -day. So you didn't have to attend the meetings, the morning meetings, the afternoon meetings, no issues, no 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 call outs, you know, no call, no shows, nothing. Pause button in life. Uh, and you have to allocate your four months full-time to something DHM or a couple things DHM related. How are you allocating that time? Um. That's a great question. It really does kind of clear the board, right? Yep. Um, <clears throat> you know, I think that I would go back to my original vision for DHM and I would, um, I would, in, I would spend part of that time uh, plotting out that course to ensure that we really do ultimately accomplish that because there there are endless ways for us to um, compete in in a in a way that's sustainable. You know, we've been winning in a highly competitive marketplace for a reason, um, and it hasn't been through acquisition. It's been through 
um, having a ultimately a better experience. So I would spend time thinking about that and plotting out what the next five years look like um, with that. I would spend time visiting with, and I don't know if this is part of the day-to-day, but I would want to spend more time visiting with customers. Uh, I do spend a lot of time with them, but really um, understanding uh, where they are, putting my finger on the pulse, um, and and using that to inform you know, how I'm steering the, the ship uh, at DHM. And then finally, I think that I would really want to educate myself on, on what's out there. You know, we tend to put blinders on, um, and whether it's in the industry or outside of the industry, what am I not seeing uh, when it comes to the next big uh, trend, opportunity, threat, uh, and use that time to just become more prepared to navigate uh, the waters. Awesome. So last question here is uh, the session around us is, is, uh, is unloading here. And so we're about to have a bunch of people around us. Yeah. What haven't I asked that I should have? <laughs> well, it's been a thorough interview. <laughs> um, let me think here. You know, I think one thing we didn't talk about is what do we attribute to the sales specifically? Okay. And, you know, one thing that I will say is um, I have a marketing background and um, maybe this isn't, is, is, is influencing this, but I think that there is something to be said about building a brand uh, in this space. It's something that companies don't tend to do. Uh, you could argue that brands are organic and they just form uh, over time, but DHM is a brand that has a platform behind it that really drives um, the company. And, and that was a process that required a lot of work. I mean, we had you know, focus groups and we went through a process and I really led it. It wasn't a huge team, but I guess that's something that shouldn't be undervalued. Mm-hmm. Um, and it should always be understood, you know, with companies, you know, w- w- what is their identity? Uh, how does that manifest itself? Uh, and to what extent is, is that a part of your day to day or is it just a, a logo and a name? Yeah. I mean, uh, one of the sessions I just came out of before we, we hopped on this podcast was talking about, look, if your mindset in the landscaping space is if you're selling time, and time is, while it's a scarce resource, it is a commodity, then you're you're in the wrong frame of reference, yes. right? You're not going to win Spot sales. On. Like, it's a race to the bottom. And so I think while it is a fragmented industry, and I think uh, too often the perception is is fairly negative of landscapers, um, but, uh, and, and so I think that, that can lead to a feeling that, well, there's no ability to build a brand in this space. There's no ability to stand out from the rest. Uh, I firmly believe that, that DHM is, is an example to the contrary about how, how wrong that really is and, mm-hmm. and really look forward to seeing what you guys do in this marketplace going forward. So well, great. Well, Paul, thank thanks you. a lot for being on the podcast. Thanks really for having it. me. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Awesome. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Big Time Small Business Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a review and share the show with a friend. To access show notes and subscribe to our distribution list, be sure to visit us at chenmarkcapital.com slash podcast. That's chenmark, C-H-E-N-M-A-R-K, capital.com slash podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at chenholdco, C-H-E-N holdco. Last but not least, We'd love to hear from you, so please drop us a line at podcast at chenmarkcapital.com. Thanks a lot.